walk and you talk, but you have no grumba. those systems there are certain systems yeah there are certain sort of like system one entities in the in the global economy mm. who are operating with profit as their motive mm. and the outcome of their actions are going to be the potential destruction of the entire system yeah yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> um, and to i mean to to plan a economy would be to kind of would in some respects would be to attempt to put in place a sort of system four, system five kind yeah. of thing. Somebody yeah. to think about the long term longevity of the system yeah. over the interests of any individual entity, and something to adjudicate between those interests to decide. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. You fossil fuel companies, you're just not allowed to operate. Anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, like you can't be allowed to continue because you are jeopardizing the longevity of this, this the very yeah. complicated and fragile. Um, uh, the ecological right. system of this planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny when I when I when I read all of this stuff, I kind of generally think, obviously, about lacking a system four and five, but how there's like also I mainly just think about system two mm-hmm. because I think about like this complete lack of communication. Um, maybe that's just because of my job. Maybe that's just because of how I feel like helpless to really do anything where I work in retail. But like markets, obviously require not having system twos right like obviously there's like you know a little bit of like uh what's the word when like corporations do like illegally kind of like talk to each other to like coordinate oh, prices yeah, inside and stuff a trading like that. kind of thing yeah something, something like equivalent that. to that yeah like yeah not, yeah. Um, not, not really an official not system a financial two. system but like a, yeah. not a system two for our benefit right yeah, yeah, yeah um but it's like yeah any kind of markets whether they be democratic socialist yeah. or otherwise yeah. well there's a lot of there's a lot of the story which is very much the implementation of like horizontal communication yeah uh mm-hmm. but it's all for the sake of uh Make money. Efe- yeah exactly yeah <laughs> fi- the efficiency sort of uh, yeah, for financial gain yeah for, based on the the profit motive of the company's kind of profit thing. not on not on the interests of the workers kind of thing. yeah profit motives uh, baby we need more money yeah, 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 yeah um but it does point to that distinction between like um, doesn't necessarily matter how you orchestrate the system. It, what what's really important is um, the class relationships that are the basis of Absolutely. That society. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, and the social relations therein. Mm-hmm. Everything we read gets me to think about the Elamisons Wood, um, and and just about the transition between capitalism and feudalism, and yeah, about yeah, really yeah. attempting to build different social relations and how to do that. Blah 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 blah. That's got to be the reading I've got the most from so far. Obviously, because it was a whole book. But also just because <laughs> we uh, have read good. another whole book. We have read another whole book. Um, we should say welcome. Auxiliary statements. I'm Jack. I am Dan. Um, Jack. How are you, Dan? Welcome the listener. Welcome the listener. <laughs> Intentionally not pluralized. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the royal listener. Mm. Is that how it works? <laughs> the royal listener, the queen mother. Um, um, I think I'm. I think I'm well. I think I'm well. Cool. Um, you seem well. I've been. I've been. 
partaking of quite a lot of forest walks. Oh, which you've been going up the hill? Up the, up the hill. Cool. It's been nice. Nice. Yesterday was very nice weather. Mm. I went in the sea very briefly. Ugh. I don't, yeah. It's good fun. Yeah, for the listener, for the royal listener, Dan told me he was going to go swimming in the ocean because it was warmer <laughs> yeah, it was the warm other yesterday. day. It was like 11 degrees. <laughs> exactly. It was about like 52 <laughs> in Fahrenheit. It wasn't, it was, although I will say, I like walking around, I walked back from work and I was like, all right, I kind of see what he was. See what I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it wasn't as bone chillingly cold as it. Yeah, I, I ended up, on my walk, I ended up wearing three layers rather than five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know what that communicates. But... We got we got a lot of snow coming up, I think, starting Apparently this Sunday. weekend. Apparently this yeah. weekend, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Um, we also had an impromptu um, uh, celebration of the 1st of February. Really? Which is, um, I think, for the Christians or for the Catholics, it's candle mass. Really? But um, and that was just a band. for the sort of pre-Christian, certain pre-Christian hmm. religions that I'm reticent to call pagan. <laughs> oh, okay. Or also for certain uh, New Age pagan. Uh, it was also... it, it was Imbolc, which is the beginning of uh, Pagan Spring <laughs> on the first. <laughs> Imbolc. Yeah. Um, or yeah, for so certain... we so we had a big bonfire and attempted to uh, oh, attempted to mark that communicate with the spirits or Something of some kind like just mm. mark the passage of time lovely lovely <laughs> because time is the, the one thing. thing that doesn't seem to be to, doing anything yes, at the moment say, you need to be reminded that time is passing <laughs> time is indeed passing and i i am i mean this year more than any but i um, i think on any other year i am now quite committed to the idea that um winter needs another festival okay when now I'm, I'm proposing the first of february oh, okay sure yeah. how about this in america we have groundhog day it was the second of february and it was yesterday and it was lovely oh, it was very good nice, the, nice. What, did, what, did the <laughs> what did the groundhog do? the groundhog the groundhog came to go out of his hole <laughs> and then he went back down into it thus symbolizing is it, is six it more weeks of phil? winter punxsutawney phil is, is phil is phil like it, presumably it's not the same how long has Puxatani Phil been I think a lot I, I mean obviously my only reference to this is the, the film. film Groundhog's yeah, Day yeah. <laughs> I was trying to explain Groundhog the actual day to someone the other day and they were just like what are you talking about they were like a little groundhog comes out of his hole and predicts the weather I was like yeah he's always right um, so yeah six more weeks of winter and this, this is why you're saying it's going to snow at the weekend yes yeah. the groundhog told me <laughs> it's going to snow if that's not pagan I don't know what it is um, I remember a book one of my favorite books, uh, Gore Vidal's Julian, all about a, uh, the Roman emperor. He calls Christianity something like a pagan Eastern mystery religion. I think we should bring that back. I like yeah, calling it an yeah, Eastern yeah, yeah, mystery yeah. religion. Yeah. I think yeah, that's cool. Yeah. He calls the people who are, he calls Christians Galileans, which is kind of like a subtle dig. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. good book. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know. It's got kind of culty vibes. It does have culty vibes. Well, I'm like, yeah, very much eating flesh and drinking blood. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially sorry, Tolkien Catholicism. No offense, but also all the Puritan stuff. Well, no, okay, well maybe we. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. this is definitely this. another topic for another yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Puritans, Puritans, losers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what else has been going on? Uh, it's so yeah, happy, happy, in bulk. Happy in bulk, <laughs> happy Groundhog's Day, and happy birthday to my dad, because today is his birthday. Dad, I know you're listening, because you're our one consistent listener. Um, happy birthday. Love you. Just spoke to you, so I don't have much to say. Um, happy 45th birthday. 
Um, Happy birthday. Yeah. What else is going on? Um, all of I've been separating out all my seeds to for the ones to start sowing in February, but I feel like my carrots and it's like some leeks and it's like I don't think I'm gonna start doing this until late February. It just right, seems like it's weeks. too cold. Yeah. yeah. Particularly if it's gonna snow. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know anything about this. Mm. Tell your carrots ready. in the ground. Yes. Carrots and parsnips. Okay. This is what I understand. Not in like a little thing. No, that the yeah. what's he what's he called? Our, um, oh yeah, what our is YouTube his name? friend. Yeah. Oh, I'm not gonna remember. Charles Dowding. Charles Dowding. Yeah. Oh, well <laughs> yeah. It's a tidbit that I picked up from one of his videos. So your he carrots. He said he yeah he he seemed, I think he said he sells his carrots and his parsnips in the ground and everything else he uh, he. Uh, hmm. Sows. Yeah, in I'm interested to see. How that What's works for our listeners who aren't in the know um, for the allotment that Dan and I potentially are going to, well, hopefully something's <laughs> going to happen soon. I got a lot of broad beans growing there. That's about it right now. But uh, we're going to be doing no till uh, farming, which is basically just get a bunch of compost and put it <laughs> on top After we the dug up about half of the ground. Exactly. We <laughs> we're like, you know what? What do you put? I'm interested to see how carrots do in a no till environment because it seems like I don't know. They're just gonna stop growing and be like stubby little carrots once they hit the hard soil. I don't know. Sure. We'll see. I I'm not really excited to grow carrots. I like growing leeks, potatoes, big things, hardy oh. things. The carrot. Maybe it's just because I've never grown any successfully. You can grow big hearty carrots. That's true. Or maybe. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> such things have been known. Such things. Such things have been done. Um, We've yeah, some carrots in our bed in the garden, and they're some, doing well. Some right? of which were planted like. 10 months ago yeah. and they was like sewn in with other things uh -huh. um, and then after our experience I thought it was a bad idea to sew them in with other things but I think we just didn't crop the other things in the way that we should have done right? sure. like, you can grow your carrots in amongst your what's lettuces. the biggest your carrots have gotten Ooh. <laughs> the top of one of them looks like it might be oh no way like two maybe not quite ten, maybe 10 pence piece wow on the top I don't uh, know how deep it goes. It's like a quarter for our I haven't dug any of them up. I really ought to. Sort of, put it back I mean, there's so few. It's like the six leaks that we've got. Like, when would I have a... Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I love leaks. Um, and they're not very big. They might yeah. be getting bigger, but... Yeah. Seems unlikely at this point. Yeah. <laughs> the carrot does not excite me. I'll say that. Okay. The okay. potato, on the other hand. My room is just filled with potatoes. My chili plant that a very nice uh, fellow allotment goer gave me... She grew from seed in the Seychelles. She was like, this might not survive through the winter, and it's dead. So oh. it's very sad. I got some very spicy peppers from it, though. That's that story. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Pepper tree is dead. Or whatever it was, little bush. Um, yeah, that's our allotment updates. What's been going on in the world? More death. <laughs> More destruction. Yeah, 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 we're reporting from COVID island. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, yeah. COVID island. Uh, COVID continent. One of the continents that I'm originally from. Um, the other continent that I'm originally from. Kind of doing all right, actually. Yeah. One of my cousins just had a kid today, which is pretty cool. Oh. Uh, so congratulations, congratulations to you, my to man. Um, and yeah. I don't know. Anything else? That's Life's it. progressing. Life, <laughs> Life is progressing. It's definitely progressing. Um, something. There's something I wanted to bring up that happened today. But it wasn't the disaster. <laughs> it was something else. I forget what it was. Whatever. You mean um, the general disaster? There wasn't. There hasn't been a specific disaster that I've missed. Just, the, just, just this, this, this this day in my life. Oh, I, oh, I see. <laughs> okay. Other than that. Okay, okay. It's gonna um, go down as um. Yeah. It's memorable. It's memor definitely memorable. <laughs> I will say NHS good. 
love the NHS, don't we, folks? This week, Dan and I reread People's Republic of Walmart. What a book. It's very good. Very good. Very good. Very, very good. Dan lent me this book a year ago now, probably more than a year ago now, Jesus, uh, pre-COVID, and um, I had no real introduction to any of these ideas before, um, which is when you should read this book, really. Um, and yeah, it just totally blew me away because I think that we went on a walk and we were having a conversation about like, I was like, well, then, like, how could you like centrally plan an economy? Like we're talking about the Soviet Union and stuff. Um, and you bought up the idea. This is before I had any like exposure to um, our boy Stafford Beer's ideas. And you're like, likened it to a biological system, right? Like attempting to, this was on Summer Hill. I remember this really this vividly really for some yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't remember. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cause I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this, yeah, I don't know why I remember this so vividly. Um, and then you lent me this book, and I was like, oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this book doesn't answer every question, but this is, I would say, the reason this book is so valuable is because it gives you ammunition to respond to the, well, what else would we do other than capitalism? This is our best, this is our best bet. What else? There's no other way. Yeah, this is your starting point for, for mm. beginning to consider, um, what a planned economy might look like and mean. Yeah, democratic economy. Um, and it was something that I was like recoiled at whenever it was suggested to oh, some sure. extent. When I was exposed to it in the past, um, because it uh, smacked so much of the Soviet Union to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of planning um, is almost feels like it's automatically connected with dictus- dictatorship to some extent, or at least like. Uh, centralized um yeah bureaucracy bu- yeah bureaucracy yeah but just the idea of some planner in a central office in moscow or wherever yeah. <laughs> deciding quite what quantity of everything you're going to need mm. five years in advance kind of thing mm. um it's scary yeah yeah and it's mm. gotten yeah the idea seems well me three or four years ago the idea had such a bad rap or like the history of it had such was was such a poor one, yeah. That it was almost like you sort of put it out of mind, even if it left with left you with as it did me with something of a sort of lacking void for what the organisation yeah. of a, a non capitalist economy might be. Mm. Um, other than the kind of like heavily decentralised um, alternative, yeah. But then, but as we saw from sort of like from. Uh, theory and cybernetics to some Mm. extent like you can have this synthesis of um desensitized in a decentralized rather (laughs) in a um in a sort of anarchist fashion Mm. but also maintain some amount of central oversight or um Mm. yes as you say coherency um not things that our anarchist comrades would automatically be opposed to, so I don't mean to sure. slander anarchism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. We're, we're not slandering anarchism here at all. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because you, this is a little bit of like a red pill moment because it's like you are just bought up to be like you don't you don't even think about how we distribute goods in modern society at all. Like mm-hmm. you don't even you don't even question it because you just go, oh yeah, you buy things that you need and you get money from your wages. <clears throat> and to have to, to be exposed to the idea that it's like 
no, you don't need prices. You don't need the price signal because that's the old argument, right? It's like, if you even question this at all, it's like, well, the best way to distribute goods fairly is to have a price signal and, you know, you work the job that you work and you can afford what you can afford. Everybody can afford, you know, the basics, you know, substance, substance and, uh, you know, and whatnot. Um, and you just let supply and demand figure the rest out and people who want to get it can get it. Oh, you don't have a Lamborghini? That's just because you haven't tried hard enough. Stuff like that, right? But when you realize that it's like, this book makes the argument, it's like, no, you don't need price signals at all. You could just, you know, come up with other ways to get the information that you need to distribute goods evenly way more fairly and in a democratic way because of the you know the main thing to take away from this book is that like you the way that we organize things now is extremely unfair mm -hmm. you can work just as you can work much harder actually than someone who's extremely wealthy and has, has access to all sorts of stuff you don't have and uh only just get by on a subsistence basis so yeah trying to you really do have to imagine kind of like you know view the world that we're living in from outside a little bit to see like oh there are other ways of organizing and that this is just a mode of production this isn't the way things have always been mm. um yeah coming yeah. back to what you were saying about this book providing you with ammunition to mm. uh, make the counter case kind of thing um so much of what this book is is an attempt to expose how much utter nonsense <laughs> there is in yeah. the conventional story that you're told both in um one, how much of our economy is reliant on market market forces. Um, and then secondly, how much nonsense there is actually in the um, mainstream economics literature when it comes to explaining what markets even do. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and there are yeah, really funny bits of this book where there are several times there are sort of like ideologues, capitalist ideologues of one kind or another who um, pry a bit too deeply into how the economy actually functions and yeah. really come away with not the answers they wanted to have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, or, are, or are really forced to like turn a blind eye to um, uh, to what they find to some extent. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess that's the case for uh, so much of mainstream ec economics kind of thing. It has this massive fixation on uh, market relations and the relationships that happen between economic entities, between uh, firms and corporations. Yeah. And don't give any amount of consideration to what it is that actually happens inside of corporations. Yeah. And big companies, well, companies of all sizes, but big companies in particular. Mm. Um there is a point in this where coming back to our episode a few weeks ago, where we were talking about black boxes. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's an extent to which mainstream economics treats corporations as the ultimate black box. They just really do not want to know what goes on inside of them. Well, it's it's, it's more than that because they like actively actively like it's more than just not wanting to know. It's actively looking away from the information, right? Yes, because yeah. like one of the kind of like classic passages in this book is like giving you the argument of like, uh, no, uh the marketplace isn't the best way to distribute goods fairly. And that's because you're not looking at it like a mode of production. You're looking at it like this, like thing handed down to us from God. And it's basically, it gives you just the basic argument of like, sometimes things that are profitable are actively harmful. And sometimes things that are necessary and you need like medicine aren't, you're not going to make any money selling them. So you're going to get horrible healthcare. The other example of like the opposite is, you know, fossil fuels. It's like, this is actively harming our world, but it's really profitable. So we'll keep doing mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are a few like, 
um, basic criticisms of capitalism come up in this book. One you've been saying, one mentioning, just like there is something incredibly unethical in the distribution, yeah. um, in the grotesque lack of freedom that so many of us experience. Which is what we're always told is like the epitome of capitalism. Yes. freedom. Yeah, 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 you can yeah. buy whatever you want. Yeah. But the starting point and the ultimate sort of jumping off point that they take is the distinction between use value and exchange value. Oh, like, yeah. Um, the line that they keep trotting out is the kind of like, there is some correspondence between the the usefulness of goods and the value for which they attract on the market, the amount of money that they can be sold for, but the, do, the two do not correlate yeah. perfectly. And in actual fact, they lead to some grotesque disparities like the ones you were mentioning like um from a use value from a usefulness standpoint um we really need to develop new types of antibiotics yeah there is a crisis in antibiotics uh and antibiotic resistance but there is no incentive from a profitability standpoint for any corporations to actually, or any pharmaceutical corporations to engage in that kind of research. Mm. Or at least there won't be until it's way too oh, late. Far too late. Yeah. Quite, yeah, yeah. Um, and as you say, yeah, there's great financial incentives for uh, many fossil fuels corporations to continue to extract fossil fuels from the earth and sell them mm-hmm. and burn them. Yeah. Um, it's safe, but yes. f- from a long-term durability of the the exactly. ecosystem, it's uh, totally disastrous. Uh, yeah, a little short-sighted. Only has disastrous outcomes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Obviously, uh, being from the COVID continent, I can tell you that um, healthcare, being a commodity, bought and traded in the marketplace, is like that's a, that is so clearly a disaster. Once you just take a little step back and critically think about it for a second, it's like wait, why would you buy and trade something that you need for your health? Because they bring up the example of like, oh, it's much more profitable for a pharmaceutical company to not treat your cancer right away, but to keep you on the hook and keep giving you chemo and stuff like that, which is what happens. Yeah, pharmaceutical companies are far more interested in um, keeping you alive for a very long term with a condition yeah. for the long term rather than curing you instantly because they want mm-hmm. to have the the, your, the money that you pay for your prescription. Mm-hmm. For the rest of your life. Yeah. And it is it's much easier for them to produce statins than have everybody be on statins. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it is crazy too, because I think that that is the big idea of this book is like you really need to take a step back and engage in critical thinking for a sec. Because it's like a lot of the most ardent defenders of like the free market, at least these days are their brains are kind of being a little bit penetrated by like the like moderate progressivism that we're seeing within the democratic party right where you're seeing like maybe we should have like a public option for everybody and it's funny because you see people kind of going okay yeah you know maybe that's right i I talked to some gps and you know they said the same thing but it's like once you really take a step back and don't just view the market as like this monolithic market this thing that will always exist and just view it as like well is this the best way of doing things you Mm -hmm. come to the conclusion that no of course it's not Mm -hmm. you know i mean if there's one way you can define or um uh think about neoliberalism as it mm. exists um the i mean the the father of neoliberalism uh hayek mm. one of his great discoveries was to to realize that um truthfully that there are so many fictions in the sort of, sort of like uh classical economics description of both how markets function and then also how human beings function mm-hmm. um 
And what Hayek realized was that no, you do need you need a state to intervene. Exactly. To with the intention for him of creating markets, mm. because he still thought that uh, markets were the only way to communicate the information necessary to um, organize a very complicated um, economic system. Yeah. Um, but he didn't believe that human beings were inherently rational in the way that uh, classical economics would have done. Mm. And he also didn't believe that markets sort of like reached some kind of homostatic <laughs> equilibrium in the way that classical yeah. uh, uh, classical economics did as well. Right? Mm. So he, so he, there's somebody who realised quite a lot of the flaws, but what he came away with was um, a much more interventionist form of mm. uh, sort of like political ideology yeah. that has come to dominate definitely come to dominate although yeah it's funny because you say that another main well i suppose maybe the main point of this book i feel like i keep saying that but is that the reason it's called people's republic of walmart is because they make the point that even though you're constantly told look at the soviet union economic planning doesn't work you think that would be more democratic there's a big guy sitting in a chair telling you how many shoes you can have something like that they go you know within the capitalist system economic planning is everywhere and the places that it uh is present at our president is present at are the most successful capitalist entities out there. So Walmart, uh, obviously Amazon, um, they also use, I believe, Target as an example. Mm -hmm. And to kind of view that as economic planning, you kind of have to make the definition of an economy as um, something that you might not be familiar with, which would just be, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, they kind of define it as um, the supply chain from like raw resource extraction, basically all the way to POS point of sale. So it's like if you're making... Uh, baseball, you know, it's where you get the cork, where you get the leather, the people who manufacture that into a baseball, the uh, distributors, and then the people who sell you the baseball. Um, and when you take a look at how Walmart specifically operates, they basically operate within this huge amoeba-like uh, system that because they have a monopoly, such a huge monopoly on retail, they're able to take these people at different points of the supply chain and basically like kind of bring them into like a semi-plan, not a semi-plan, basically a planned economy from people who extract the resources, you know, oil, everything that they need for to make their products, bananas, farmers, whatever, all the way to um, when it's on the shelf in Walmart, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the book makes the point that like Walmart isn't particularly unique. They were just like pioneers. Of exactly. Kind of and they just did it very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, 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 the founder of Walmart's a, historically famous miser mm. um so sort of money saving and penny pinching yeah uh, i like at one sort point of synonymous with that corporation <laughs> more than yeah most although obviously it's I mean, yeah. in every corporation's interests to limit its outgoing at one point don't they say in the book they were like um he realized the place that he could save money on was labor yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah no shit <laughs> But they do make the point that, like, um, well, one one of the th one of the innovations that Walmart made, they were one of the first places to they opened their first like distribution center mm. in like in the early seventies, kind of thing. Um, realizing that it's incredibly inefficient for a a, a supermarket, say, to um, have a separate supplier for every single thing that they sell, exactly. and to have to interact with all of those separate. Um, sort of like uh, sub uh, enterprises, I suppose, mm -hmm. um, 
think of all the communication that they have to make to put in all of those separate requests to have their stock filled with all of these different things mm. far more easy far much much easier for a supermarket to deal with only one supplier um which which if you are a believer in the idea that markets at all levels are the most efficient way of doing things mm. then you would think that all of those price signals that were happening between the supermarket and all of their various different suppliers, mm. all of the possibilities for other companies to come in and intervene um, to undercut each other, um, you would have thought that would be the most desirable way to run this thing, this run an economy if or run a corporation if you believed that mm. markets at all levels were. Uh, the best way of organizing something because you'll have suppliers competing with each other to give you the best price to get you everything done in the quickest way same with distributors yeah, yeah and they yeah. go no that's not true yeah i mean there is another way to there is another way to get the best best price right and it's just to control the entire distribution chain exactly um and be such a monolith that um everything everybody cannot but sell to walmart to some exactly extent. um so yeah, that was their, so kind of their first innovation was to realize that like there's so much waste in energy and money happening that they just sort of like streamline the entire process. Mm. Um, and the other thing that they um, innovated on very quickly was communication. This would be something that like exactly yeah cybernetics and staff beer would be very yeah. like uh, acutely aware of. Mm. Um, it's such a slow way to transmit information. If you have to transmit through a whole series of different suppliers at different levels, um, just the more nodes there are in this sort of chain, the slower the transmission of information becomes. Yeah, um, because businesses don't want to be transparent. Because yeah, they're all yeah, in competition yeah, yeah. with each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Go, we'll get back to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but also like so much, so much easier if you can like... Um, introduce things like well the introduction of computer technology was exactly, massively yeah. significant absolutely um but if you have computers sort of tracking all stock in and out you can mm. like in um, real time yes exactly you can like yeah streamline the that's whole the, process kind of yeah thing. that's the coolest example in the whole book is how they say that once you're bought in this like the walls of walmart so to speak it's like once you're part of the supply chain, not only are you just going to make money for the rest of your life, don't worry about it. You work with Walmart, you'll be fine. You only have to make stuff that they want. But the coolest example they gave was like, as soon as you buy something in Walmart and it gets scanned at the scanners, at like the cash registers, all that information about how much stock has gone out goes immediately to the entire supply chain. So everybody from like the people, you know, growing the cotton to, you know, stuff that stuffed animal with that you just bought to like the people weaving the fabrics know okay walmart's gonna need one more of this thing that is that's that blew my mind that mm -hmm, is so mm -hmm, cool mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah um and then i guess the next they kind of take it another step further with amazon right because amazon kind of adds like a little bit of a big brother element to economic yeah. planning um whenever you hear about like any tech company kind of like selling your data um that's a pretty big part of how amazon knows what you want because that's a pretty big part of, well, how would we centrally plan an economy, or at least democratically plan an economy, is how would you know which people would need what things? How would you know, like, oh, people living in, like, Oxnard need 50,000 shoes, but people living in Ventura only need 49,000 shoes. How would you not mess that up? The way Amazon does that is basically just by stealing your data <laughs> and going, like, at least that's partially yeah, 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 what they yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they give the example, I don't think this was Amazon, I think it was Walmart. 
or yeah, I don't think it was Amazon. I think it was Target actually, which is another example of kind of economic planning um, of their algorithms that they use to guess what people would want to advertise them, you know, these products or whatever, um, was able to tell that certain women were pregnant before they knew that they were pregnant and they were sending them ads for like maternity clothing. And women would be like, this is weird. What? And then they'd be like, oh, you're pregnant. And it's just like, how the hell did the yeah, algorithm but, yeah, know presumably, Yeah, presumably they buy, like, pregnant women buy certain <laughs> things prior uh, to even knowing that they're yeah, exactly. pregnant. Or have certain, make certain consumer choices or at yeah. least search for certain things. Or... Yeah. It's the basic idea of, like, when you check out at Amazon and you're buying, like, Citadel paints, it's like, you will also need these paintbrushes. You will yeah. also need plastic glue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it's like, you Googled, like... Uh, uh, insoles for my shoes. So here's an advertisement for very comfy shoes where you don't need insoles. It's that kind of thing. Sure, yeah. Um, what, what's really fun about that Amazon section is um, how apparently they make it that we do a great deal of free work for Amazon and yeah. its algorithm just yeah. by browsing the store. Yeah. On, by like, surfing the web. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they make the point like a traditional supermarket <clears throat> cannot know what things that you look at and then put back what things you put in your basket wheel around for a bit and then take out again yeah like what things you come back to and look at over and over <laughs> again um but amazon can collect this data on vast huge numbers of people hmm. um <clears throat> but what's interesting about amazon is that like so many of the things that they do are the simplest way yeah the best approximation kind of thing like yeah. they make the point that they're gathering all this data but if they wanted to do the most detailed analysis on it possible, mm. it would take like present computers the entirety of time exactly, to like yeah. synthesize a perfect representation of the model of the world which is unfolding in front of them. Mm. Um, so Amazon have found ways just to do the best approximation yeah. kind of thing. Um, it's reminiscent of some of the things we talked about with Stafford Beer, right? Like yeah. you... Don't, well, they, they, yeah, we get, I, I guess the best beer in example is the one where um, they're talking about how the algorithm actually works. Mm. And there were initially a lot of fears that like, um, not fears, but like hyperbolic or suggestions <laughs> that um, Amazon might be uh, cultivating really complicated modeling to uh, read everybody's minds almost. Yeah. <laughs> like. Uh, to, to know based on some of your other shopping what other things you might want to have and almost be yeah. ready to send them to you before you'd even ordered it kind of thing which is a thing they've thought um, of actually yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but really their 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 algorithmic model operates basically on only one uh, variable mm. it's people who bought this thing that you want to buy exactly. also bought x which is stunningly uh, successful yeah 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 and what they've done is they've discounted a huge number of other variables um they make no effort to sort of like categorize buyers in any particular way mm -hmm. they make no effort to categorize items in any particular way so like um as you were saying like the the shoe and the glue kind of thing mm -hmm. like um the glue doesn't have to be categorized as glue for fixing shoes. Yeah. 
it only has to be the case that the buy people who bought this particular insole also bought this particular type of glue to glue exactly. them in. So then all of the sort of computational work has been done by all the human beings who have made that consumer choice over and over again, or that, yeah. that choice to take that thing over and over again. Um, it doesn't need a particularly complicated computer algorithm to work this out. Mm. And this is very much similar to um, what we were talking about when we were talking about um, uh, the sort of like Chilean cybersyn team's effort to model the mm. Chilean economy. Like they were only uh, 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 based upon um, management cybernetic principles. Like they're only interested in the variables that matter, right? Exactly. They can discount everything else. It's only exactly. the variables that matter, which are um, are the ones you want to focus on, kind it, of thing. Yeah, it's the same thing as the input output tables. It's like you don't need an input, a, a entire input output table for every single resource that's possible yeah, yeah. in an economy yeah. to build a pair of shoes. You just need the things for laces and the things yeah. for soles. Yeah, yeah. So what's the point of this? The point of this is it's an effort to demonstrate that the argument that markets are the only way in which you can communicate this information is gump. And we do, yeah. not, we do not have the computational power to uh, analyze data to model economies in the way that's necessary. Yeah. Well, in this particular example, you don't need to be able to analyze every piece of data that could possibly exist. You don't need to perfectly model your system. Mm. It's entirely plausible um, to generate systems which function perfectly well um, without market signals being the only way to communicate information. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And indeed, those market signals are horrible at doing it because mm -hmm. they rely on profit, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which is lame. Should we talk about Sears a little bit? Let's talk about <laughs> Sears. Sears, that was like the comic <laughs> relief of the book. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah in, the, in, the, in the chapter on Walmart, they contribute... Um, uh, they counterpose Walmart to uh, Sears, yeah. which is a department store. Although they also own Kmart, right? So they were sort yes. of... Yes, Kmart... To some extent, a direct competitor of Walmart, at least uh, in the same kind of field. Kind I of will thing. say the Kmart that was in my town is now gone and has been replaced by a Walmart. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> That's the moral of this story, to give it to you before we Beca tell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because um, whilst Walmart was... Remo removing market mechanisms, removing price signals as the only way to communicate between uh, uh, suppliers and mm. the, the various supermarket chains or what have you. Um, Sears doubled down yeah. on markets and price signals and mm. classical economics in a massive way. All because of one guy. Yeah, because yeah, of one yeah, yeah, yeah. Ayn Randian. Like, yeah, yeah. Some family was a big, a big fan of Ayn Rand. Yeah, just an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Ran his company into the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, what happened is he sort of broke the whole thing up into various different types of department, um, and then demanded that all those departments like compete with each other in various ways. Mm. So all of the departments had to buy the services of other departments, um, and there was no sort of like joined up thinking they all had to they all had to have like they all had to contract the services of other ones they were also required to um outsource if it would be cheaper right so mm. they have an in-house person responsible for doing x y and z thing mm. but somehow they find some contractor that's cheaper and they can work around and go outside of their yeah. um their corporate structure um 
so basically they set up a system where every every department of uh the the corporation was actively working against the best interests of all of the other departments and therefore the actual longevity of the corporation in and of yeah. itself i mean they make a, they make a ridiculous example where like was it like a a kid's bicycle or scooter or something ended up somehow on the mother's day issue yeah. for sears's magazine yeah, exactly. just because that department that was attempting to sell kids toys managed to outcompete uh something that would have been like much more sensible board. to have yeah much more sensible to have on the mother's day mother's day edition kind of thing yeah um yeah suffice to say it was an entirely ludicrous system and that's why sears is and not that's why sears does not exist sears does not exist anymore. i used to like going to sears when i was a kid it was a pretty fun it sold everything um let me give you a pretty funny example of how this is just the worst possible way to organize a business at work i was like stocking the shelves for like these like cans of like dog food and gravy so they come in cans and you buy them in packs of 12 right and i noticed that uh we do the same food in 12 packs by 400 grams 400 gram cans then we also do the same thing it's exact same food in 12 cans by 356 grams and the 356 gram ones were a pound more expensive than the other ones and i went up to my boss and i was like like can i like what's the deal with this why are these more expensive and she just said she said something along the lines of i don't know jack i don't work for the prices department i was just (laughs) like okay that's never gonna get fixed never mind Yeah, you do see things like quite a lot in supermarkets, don't you? You're mm. just like, why is this this way? Yeah, like, yeah. It's because, yeah, exactly. It's because there's no coordination within the uh, entity as a whole. Yeah. Everybody's working for themselves to compete for the more funding from the, like, whatever version, bastardized version of System 4 and 5 that they have in their yeah. company. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So then, I guess the, the question then of the book is... Can we use these structures that companies like Target, Walmart, and Amazon, these algorithms that they've created, for democratic purposes? Um, And obviously, at least to me, it seems like if you were to just take the algorithm that Amazon uses, no, Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm -hmm. not. Because there's the added thing of like, you bought this, so you might like this, even though that's not the best fit for you, even though that's not the cheapest fit for you, Mm -hmm. it's like... What's the thing that we can still get them to buy, spending the most amount I mean, of money? I mean, the yeah, the only input that Amazon has is the people who interact with its website. I mean, yeah. maybe it has other ones, right? Um, and obviously, the I mean, they make the case that it's with systems like this, it's one dollar, one vote, right? Yeah, people who spend more money on Amazon come to dictate how the Amazon algorithm and then to some extent it's sort of sub supply chain function, right? Like, mm-hmm. Um, so in that in that in instance, it's people who have more money have more power with the algorithm, and, and yeah. they also have the example of like um, poorer households might perhaps only have one device with which they uh, connect, mm. kind of thing. So mm. there's a lot more, there's a lot less accurate information given to the algorithm than a household that had lots of multiple devices, exactly. kind of thing, and a phone and a computer for everybody and. It's exactly, I mean, it's like when I was living in LA, if you ordered something off of Amazon, it would get to you within one to two days. Like mm-hmm. It was just there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went back to the town that I was living in, which was much smaller than Los Angeles, slightly less the case. Living out here, it's definitely less the case. You can still get things kind of quickly, but because the town that we live in is like 30,000 people, 40,000 people, um, not so much. And if you live in a rural village, they're not going to get around to sending you a delivery truck until they absolutely have to, right? Until like mm-hmm. someone's driving through that town to get to somewhere else. 
Um, so affluent neighborhoods definitely play into it as well, right? And you'd have to find a way to democratize that. Um, that's just another thing. Just a marvel of Amazon is its delivery system. It's absolutely insane how mm -hmm. well they're able to just model, like, this delivery driver will be here. This one has a runny nose. We don't want to be coming into work. This person, okay, we'll be delivering five packages there this day. Uh -huh. We'll be, you know, so we can drive through that town to get to here, drop off the packages there. It's well, insane. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right about that. But as I was reading this, I was thinking about some of my experiences with Amazon, and a lot of them are secondhand. They're sure. observing other people's interactions with Amazon. Mm. Um where they have this kind of tracking system, but like the information isn't particularly accurate to some extent. Like yeah. they they can be five doors away for like three hours, and then they suddenly jump a bit further away, and then it comes back again. Or sometimes you order something and you intend it to come on a particular day, and then it comes like three days earlier or three days later or something like that. Well, that's the thing. They generally um, give you a like four to six days because they sure. don't know. When I mean, there. to be honest, I'm thinking more of Amazon Prime, so I don't quite oh, know sure, how okay. the sort of Prime delivery mm. uh, service has changed to some extent. Um, but in the book, to some extent, they they use that kind of. Um, I think they use an example very very similar to that, like how they organize their deliveries, as an example of them doing something imperfectly, but mm. well enough to suit the the service requirements, kind of thing. Mm. Like the system functions perfectly well, uh, even if it's not. Uh, totally accurate, say, or like even if there are certain delays in certain places, kind of thing. Mm. Um, but that said, you, yeah, you, you're quite right. Like the logistic. I mean, in, I mean, in all instances of this, the takeaway is like um, the logistical feats of these companies mm. are monumental. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they rely on a particularly ruthless type of planning yeah um and i mean ruthless in, is the right word in a lot of senses like um the first time i read this book um I, I i my ears pricked up frequently every time they used the phrase de democratic planning yeah um because i always assumed they were using the phrase democratic planning to counterpose it to the soviet union mm. um and every time they did it it always uh, struck that raw nerve with me that was all, had this sort of built-in kind of like uh, uh, reflex revulsion toward yeah. the idea of planning just because I'd sort of been so like uh, primed pri yeah primed quite for um, mm. to have that reaction um, but on a second reading what I realised was what they're counterposing democratic planning to is not the Soviet Union at all mm. but the incredibly undemocratic planning that goes on at Walmart Absolutely, and Amazon yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if there is a dichotomy in this book it's not between um, like socialist planning um, that would be possible if we were to appropriate uh, contemporary technology as opposed to planning as it existed in actual existing socialism. Mm. The dichotomy is between like the incredibly tyrannical planning that happens now and the possibilities for um, a much more democratic planning mm. should we wish to institute that system. And I think the takeaway we have to take away... We have to take away? Yeah. We have to take away. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, <laughs> I, get, I think the, the takeaway from that is that to do that is no simple feat. Sure. To institute 
um, something that we might want to call socialist democratic planning would not be to take um, present planning that goes on in the sort of tyrannical top-down way in corporations and tweak it in various ways. Mm. Um, because the these corporations are still operating on the principle of pros- profit maximization. Yeah. Um, and if we want to have socialist and democratic planning, the first step is going to have to be to remove... Um, profit-seeking as the primary motivation for mm. how we decide to organise our economy and our social lives. Absolutely. And instead to um, set human need as the sort of prime totally. want of, um, or the prime motivator for economic outcomes. Just raising the quality of life. Yeah. As opposed yeah, to just yeah, ma- yeah. someone making money somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and that's going to require all sorts of different, like, feedback mechanisms that we really don't know anything about yet like mm. there is a question of how are we going to work out and decide mm. um what use values i suppose to use a marxian mm. phrase we're going to decide to maximize mm. but maybe you can use something like an algorithm like amazon's one mm. um given a much more democratic input um would it organize um at least distribution in the way that amazon does or yeah, I suppose it has some. The Amazon uh, algorithm has some sway over production, right? Like, if um, the Amazon algorithm decides that, well, quite a lot of people are going to want X thing to go go mm. with Y product, they're going to automatically stimulate the production of this other type of product, kind of thing. So yeah, it wouldn't be fair to say that their algorithm only governs governs distribution. It certainly would um, mm. govern production as well. Likewise, the way Am- the way Walmart plans definitely. Influences the way things are produced, kind of thing. Yeah, and they what force things them to are be. produced. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, another another huge point of the book is that they make the point that if you were to combine Amazon and Walmart, it would be much larger than the Soviet Union was mm-hmm. at uh, its peak, right? Um, which is, which is pretty staggering. Um, yeah. It is funny because we're definitely right now in a point of where we all, I think, require a little bit of elucidation on what a planned economy is. Because right now we're kind of in limbo between, like, still having that Soviet Union hangover of, like, you know, here's what you want, here's what you're going to buy kind of thing. That's not super democratic versus the kind of, like, tyrannical buy this approach of these two companies. Um yeah, and I mean, it's pretty freaky to think, but like, it is absolutely up to us on how we're going to view economic planning in between this limbo going forward. Um, and yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, I have no idea. Uh, I will say it's spooky to think of these these companies having this much power, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, thank God Jeff Bezos stood down. <laughs> I don't know about this. Is that what? I think he went from being the CEO of Amazon to like the executive officer, chief of the board, and some bullshit. Oh, okay. So it's okay. like a don't worry, guys, I'm yeah, getting better. Totally different. Totally yeah, different. yeah, exactly. Totally different. He'll be he'll be starting some kind of like philanthropic venture next. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Jeff or, Bezos or real, and Melinda uh, Gates trying to send people to moon <laughs> to the moon or something. Yeah, yeah, the libertarian colony on mm-hmm, the moon. Mm-hmm. I think maybe there's there's one other aspect of this uh, of uh, contemporary planning. Uh, that this book touches on that we haven't quite done yet 
and it kind of relates to incentive structures to some extent sure like there's one myth that we haven't talked about yet which the book does is that like it's purely market signals that incentivize certain types of behavior from capitalists okay yeah yeah um and one of the uh, well there, there were several instant the uh one of the one of the things that they fixate on to some extent um is quite how significant investors are in this whole process mm. like the amount of planning power that investors have both sort of like uh hedge fund investors to some extent but also i'm more significantly like central banks sure. how central banks like um direct uh revenue and funding to various things um dictates very much what products are going to be produced what services are going to be uh appear in front of us kind of thing mm. i mean i guess what the most monstrous example of this kind of thing is something like softbank yeah and the way that like they invest in so many like ludicrous tech companies that like <laughs> anybody with two brain cells can see that they're like they're never going to work yeah or like you only you have to you only have to look at their the inter- economic history of their entire existence and see that they've their current model does not yield a meaningful profit sure. but they're kept afloat with this kind of investment um mm. from from in this case Yumbies. one particular type of sort of one particular investor but yeah like, the same is true across the board, right? Same like, for Tesla. Everybody yeah. always says, oh, Tesla has such a high stock price because their product is so valuable. And it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's because there's stuff to market shenanigans. Well, I, my understanding is the reason why Tesla became profitable because the, there is some kind of like um, law or state um, funded remuneration in California that has something to do with... Um, uh, fucking California. Like ecological cars being taxed in a different way, or like producers of um, more ecologically sustainable cars being given some kind of bung from government. I don't quite understand that's it. That's quite. I'm sure that's quite a bit of it. I think it's but, also just some sketchy thing of like they can buy their own shares and then sell them, and then because they sold them. And oh, I see. It's some kind of like market wizardry bullshit. going on, yeah, <laughs> just printing money. Um. Bad. So yeah, so there there is the the aspect of planning which is directed and dictated by um, the investment of uh, finance yeah. coming from another source of tyranny in An our world—the enlightened despot. The enlightened despots <laughs> that are uh, hedge funds and index funds and mm. uh, central banks, and then the other thing that they fixate on or focus on um, is quite how important states have been in the development of certain types of technologies sure like i say, i mean it's a tired example and we've talked about it before i think so we say the iphone would not linger on it particularly long but yeah uh yeah the, the, they make significant reference again to the mariana mazzucato thesis on the entrepreneurial state mm. how like the iphone in this instance um all of the component <laughs> parts of the iphone were developed by various wings of the either the u.s military or yeah. like DARPA, or, yeah, DARPA. Or like, ah. I mean, they they say that DARPA only came into existence because they were fearful after the launch of Sputnik that <laughs> sort of Soviet technology and technologists and the 
the system for the development of new technologies was so much more advanced and advancing so much more quickly that they couldn't rely on market forces in America and they yeah. had to institute some kind of like yeah. uh, state-backed technology research yeah. um, to be able to compete with the Soviet Union. Well, they weren't wrong about that. <laughs> They're absolutely right. Um, so yeah, also don't be tricked into thinking that... Um, we we're reliant on uh the incentive structures of capitalism to have technological innovation yeah oh, because of like uh some uh, contrary to what people would like to have you think about the myth of the the entrepreneur mm. uh the the myth of the the tech startup guy yeah um the or... sort of like yeah, yeah the, the sycophantic um <laughs> syphilitic syphilitic all the s's <laughs> all the s's way in which people look upon um elon musk or mm -hmm. even worse steve jobs uh... um to think that these people are like uh made their own way the, yeah the the incentive structures of capitalism are to be as we've seen, or very short termist in, in its thinking, sure. but also very cautious, right? Mm. You cut like corporations aren't willing to invest on a twenty or thirty year timeline in the way that governments are able to do. Mm. Um, it's not capitalist corporations that are the drivers of innovation. Mm. Um, it's state backed research, either in universities or in mm -hmm. DARPA or what have you. At the end of the day, all coming from your tax money. Quite, quite all coming quite. from you yeah, yeah. in the same way that all of this labor is uh that amazon needs to get to give you the right stuff is just being done by you yes um, yeah you, you should we should you should all invoice jeff bezos <laughs> for the time you spend browsing on amazon you know, i mean the, it won't be worth very much to you but eh, go for it yeah. do your best minimum wage all the time you spend browsing the internet <laughs> i'm sure it's worth quite a bit um the most disgusting Bezos incident has got, I get, I don't know why this one really bothers me, but I get so mad whenever I learned that his house was under construction and he was just like, F it, I'm just going to park my car out front, double park it for like a month. And he wound up owing something absurd, like $360,000 in uh, parking tickets. And he was just like, yeah, fuck it, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I'll just pay it. I don't mm -hmm. care. I don't know why that really bothers me. I really maybe it's because like the times I've gotten a parking ticket, it's for like I was supposed to move my car at nine a.m. and I moved it at nine oh five. Now I owe seventy dollars, mm -hmm. and that's like quite a bit of my paycheck. And it's just like, yeah, this prick. Come on, yeah. what's he doing? He's being bold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Bastards. What's he worth? Hundred billion. Hundred billion dollars. Yeah. He's got a hundred billion votes. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Nobody cares about you, Jack. <laughs> I don't think he does. I don't think he does. Unless you do. Unless you're listening, Jeff. Hello. Um, Come on the pod. Come on the pod, Jeff. I don't think I've ever heard Jeff Bezos' voice. What does he sound like? You know whose voice I did hear for the first time the other day, and it blew my mind, is Slavo Zizek. Uh, I've never heard his voice before. You've done very well to avoid him. It <laughs> must have, have been an active adaptive. It was 100% yeah. active. The YouTube algorithm, that planned algorithm was like, Jack, pretty keen, just watch pretty the keen. goddamn Peterson thing. <laughs> and I actively avoided doing that for a very long time. And then I finally heard his voice. Not what I expected at all. Very. I mean, you haven't even heard other people's imitations of. I must have. I heard mean, that. nobody really does a very good Slavoj Zizek yeah. impression, so. But sure, everybody who does it thinks they do a great one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was funny. Um, what were we talking about? 
Um, yeah. I will say, though, I didn't pick up on this on my first read-through, but really reading about um, Otto Neurath and about von Mises and about the Austrian circle, yeah. it's a lot more interesting this time around because I was okay. able to kind of focus on that a bit more. Neurath's idea of his big theory was, this was like in this and around the First World War. Sure. Um, so his big theory was that during wartime, economies tend to and also just become in-kind economies, which is basically economies where money means nothing um, because you just need by necessity to trade for things that you need. So that's iron for coal or whatever it is. Um, same thing with food. Um, and that kind of led him to kind of theorize about planned economies. And this is kind of what became the socialist calculation debate about like, <laughs> this is, uh, I hate to say, but a period of nostalgia possibly for the left when we were actively debating, well, maybe we should just plan things um, as opposed to just having markets. This was at a time <laughs> when that was actively debated by the world's top uh, economists. <laughs> yeah, they felt the requirement to actually answer the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as opposed to now just being <laughs> which, like, Which speaks, speaks to how worried they were. They actually yeah. thought like socialism, socialist planning in the early part of the 20th century mm. might be a real threat. To, mm. uh, yeah. It's interesting, too, reading about Lenin and how he was just going into power. The Bolsheviks were kind of just like, let's do it like Germany did it during World War One. It's, it's like, don't do yeah, that. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? Because, like, um, you can make all of these defenses if you if one wants to. You can make these defenses for Lenin not mm. and the Bolsheviks in general, not just Lenin, not having a particularly well worked out theory of how they were going to transition their economy, mm. not expecting to suddenly find themselves at the sort of vanguard, the head of this. Sure this thing that we did not develop into a world revolution and left yeah. them sort of relatively isolated. But when you hear about what um, Otto Neurath was thinking about at exactly the same time, and yeah. writing proposals for and in the initial stages of potentially implementing, mm. um, yeah, it does make you wonder why they couldn't do a bit better. Yeah, yeah. But I honest. suppose if we want to be materialists, war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the worst yeah. wars in human history. Yeah. Um, and then another one of the worst yeah. wars in human history. Um, and yeah, then it's a bum deal. Bum deal. They got a bum deal. Bum deal. And now mm. they're arresting journalists. Um, that's one thing I've also been, what we will henceforth be uh, calling zizeking, which is actively avoiding, is that whole news cycle about the Russian journalist who just got arrested. That's oh, a topic okay. for another time. Von Mises, um, I believe, I could have written this down wrong, but I believe kind of had the idea of like, him and Neurath were like, well, then how, without prices, how would you get people what they want slash what they need, right? I mean, what you need versus what you want is like a pretty big discrepancy, right? Um, and in a democratic society, presumably you'd want people to have what they want as well as not just what they need. Um, and I, maybe I shouldn't say it was von Mises because it could have been someone else, um, said that you should just get people to <laughs> but vote. But Mises is, 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 the, is the, the name of an Austrian economist, which is easiest to pronounce. Exactly, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of these depraved uh, gentlemen said, just get people to vote on what they want, which is such a, like, I don't know, how about this idea? Go to a ballot box, check everything you want. It's like a scroll that's like 50 feet long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's such, it's such a kind of adbusters answer, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, can, you can imagine, like, people debating Mises' <laughs> argument at an Occupy encampment in, like, 2010. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is where the algorithm comes in about like um, not telling people what they want, not getting people to just straight up vote on what they want, not getting people to pay for what they want, uh, perhaps predicting what people want. 
Um, maybe we should have done this episode before the Stafford beer reading. Just go beer. Uh, uh, what is it? The capitalists always say conscious consumer or something like that. You're a conscious consumer podcast. Go back and listen to it uh, in reverse order. Um, but I mean, that's where Stafford beer and all these guys come in, right? Because it's not just how you organize your workplace along democratic lines. It's how do you organize your economy on democratic lines? All of these ideas that beer had, far-fetched or not, about like popularizing cyber sin and about getting re people really involved with this system and not just having it lure over them like a big brother um, are important, I think, when you're answering those questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, one that I do not have an answer to. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, I certainly hope that we can... I mean, it's, it's the common retort that people make is they've no interest in being in like democratic meetings to decide every possible yeah. sure. uh, thing under the sun. Understandable. Um, yeah, quite. Yeah. <laughs> um, but hopefully, if we can um, uh, reliably and safely offhand some of this sort of like uh, computational work to mm. uh, sort of algorithms which have a democratic mandate to some extent, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be quite comfortable with that. <laughs> Yeah. How do you keep the bastards out? How do you keep capitalists I mean, out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there isn't there is a really important um, section in this which I suppose we should give some amount of mention to, which mm. is like um, big pools of data are always should all, always be worrisome. I think. Yeah. Um, and treated with a tremendous amount of care because the possibility for their abuse. Um, and the sort of like omnipotent reach it could give mm. uh, any singular or small group of unsavory characters mm. um, should be worrisome. Hundred um, percent. And they do sort of leave open that question of like, how are we going to decide? Um, no, no matter how well you encrypt your data or depersonalize your data. Mm. I mean, they 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 make a point in this of saying that. Um, you only need, a, 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 even if you depersonalize a certain collection of piece of data, you can potentially overlay it with other pieces of information and mm. sort of try to, like, I mean, they make the example of um, suppose that all of your all of the medical records in the NHS say um, are depersonalized of proper names, but they still have all the times at which you go, and then somehow there's some big leak at uber say and then yeah. you can suddenly corroborate you can suddenly correlate all of the names of people who took a certain number of uber journeys yeah. with this other section of data kind of thing mm. so is there's a certain risk of even if it's deep depersonalized um or anonymized yeah um there's still a danger to some extent um absolutely i, I mean i mean one of the options may be that portion of um the cybersyn system which was to just delete any information that was seen to be normal. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Um, and we're only going to fixate on anything that's sort of out of the ordinary. Mm. Um, I don't know how that would correlate with an algorithm, but then I suppose, like, you could say that the Amazon algorithm could delete any information that wasn't um, simply the correspondence between people buying one thing and people buying another thing. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they're storing all sorts of data. And finding other ways to monetize it. Um, well, is the danger then in a in an economy without markets? Because presumably the danger would be you don't want companies getting access to this information. But I mean, without companies, without a profit incentive, who would want this information? Sure, yeah, I don't know. 
It's like, oh, my neighbor bought a catheter. It's like, who cares? <laughs> you know, I, I suppose that there's like some privacy stuff. Well, there. yeah, I mean, they do. So, there's a certain extent to which they do fall back on um, an argument which I'd be willing to put a lot of stock in, although I, mm. I can fully understand why people might feel it a, to be a bit of a cop out, mm. which would be to say that like human behavior is incredibly malleable. Yeah. And sort of the things which incentivize certain types of behavior are contingent on how a system functions, right? Like you will be a different human being under a different social structure. Sure. Um, I put a lot of stock in that, yeah, honestly, because yeah, yeah. whenever you hear the idea of like, I call this the Star Trek idea. What was the episode where the people are frozen and they come back and they're like, yeah, money? Yeah, it's the neutral zone. Neutral zone. Thank you. It's the neutral this, zone thesis. The neutral zone thesis. Yeah, exactly. I've been watching a lot of Star Trek. We should talk about some Star Trek. Ooh, we should. Deep Space Nine or Next Generation? No, Next Generation. I've been watching really? like, all the Q episodes. Oh, yeah, that's right. We will talk about this. <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether, whether I have very much to say. Although I can recommend... We've got my... stuff to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got stuff to say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I watched the Borg episodes as well. And I have something to say about that. Good. Um, but anyway, the neutral zone thesis, <laughs> which is, okay, you get rid of money, you get rid of prices. It all sounds well and good. It sounds extremely good. Sign me up. How do you get people to do the job of that nobody wants to do? How do you get people to work in a feed store? Nobody's going to want to work in a feed store. Honestly, kind of feel like that's a fake argument, but I, maybe I'll make a, a fake answer, which is uh, people under a different social order are going to act differently. And I would feel so much better. I think about this literally every single day at work. If I could just attach what I'm doing directly to the customers that I really like and I like interacting with people. There's one little old lady who comes in every Saturday and she always gets the same thing because she's got a bunch of calves coming in. She always gets milk powders. She always gets these little calf pellets. And it's and if I was able to divorce my feelings of like inferiority and frustration about the amount of money I'm making and just completely attach it to like, I'm doing something to help out the calves, help out the little old lady, help out my community. Mm -hmm. And with the added benefit of like, I probably wouldn't have to toil for as many hours as I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, for like, a pittance. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Not feeling insecure. And I could probably step away from it at a certain point and go and do something else. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's the, what was the Marx quote? Something along the lines of like, I want everyone to be a fisherman and a doctor and a schmuck yeah, without yeah. ever becoming a schmuck, a doctor and a fisherman. <laughs> Um, Your version of that quote much better. Than yeah, yeah. Exactly. Not that Marx isn't an inspiring, but yeah, um, I have much more affinity with being a schmuck than with being a philosopher. Yeah. So. <laughs> Same thing. Same thing. Um, anything else for this book um, before we move on to the more important segment of the show? Yeah, I guess I'm left with the the feeling that um, money and prices do nothing but control access. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, it's the Tom thesis of if anyone ever talks about just distribution, look at them strangely because they're not your friend. <laughs> was I just doing that or was I doing the opposite of that? No, the opposite of that. Okay, good, good. Because it's about production. It's about sure. really organizing okay, yeah, the forces, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what I mean by that. Mm. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. It's all a lie. Yeah. Everything you've been told is a lie. Yeah, we've got all of the worst parts <laughs> of a planned economy. Yeah. Uh, and none of the benefits. Exactly. Even though we're the ones doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> um, 
I maybe we should talk a little bit about the Frederick Jameson bit because like I was saying before we started recording, I first time I read this was very confused why they put that Frederick Jameson bit in there. Mm. Other than just like nodding to okay we're kind of taking your idea a little bit here mm, yeah, yeah i can't remember it so you'll have to explain it to me <laughs> it was just the general idea where they quote him at some point as saying like frederick jameson cultural theorist kind of i guess has yeah. tried reading one of his books and i was kind of like yeah okay um smart guy uh cultural theorist talks a lot about utopia cool stuff for Lord jack snipes episode for more talk on utopia um but he brings up about how this ernst blockian idea about how we're so frustrated with our social relations and in such a rut and unable to see better alternatives that we can't see alternatives that's obvious but it's like we can't see utopia in any of our art we can't see utopia in anything that we create and he makes the point that actually there are elements of utopia in our society i suppose maybe this is what he's saying and we can see utopia in something like walmart and that's obviously where they get the name of the book right mm -hmm. um because we could use what Walmart is trying to do for evil reasons for good reasons. And we could give everybody a good quality of life forever. Yeah. Based off of these ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah I didn't, I didn't remember getting much from that the first time through. Um, but then I liked it this time through. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain amount of the kind of like, um, there are things about these systems that are remarkable. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And incredibly desirable. You can't just be and like, I think there's something. Is it in this that they quote? Um, they reference um, Marx's both criticism and admiration for capitalism mm. and um, mm. the source of Marx's um, dismay, I suppose, being that there was so much potential being so thoroughly squandered. Yeah. Which yeah. is very similar to what Jameson was getting at. Which Absolutely, is like, yeah. Um, there are sort of utopian building blocks amongst us. Yeah. Um, you just don't want to look at them because they're so horrible to look <laughs> yeah. at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. It is the kind of like, should we be having the kind of like typical left reaction of like corporations? Ugh. you should because they're all horrible yeah disgusting. i mean this book starts with a massive disclaimer obviously they're yeah. not celebrating walmart yeah. and there are sections of this book which go into great detail about how horrendous it is to be an amazon employee yeah um so i suppose there i am making the same disclaimer just yeah. so you know <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> close down all amazon distribution centers yes yes oh my god please um yeah it's no good i remember the supreme court not too long ago ruled against uh, the people bringing the case to court, which were workers, I believe, of Amazon, that they were suing because every day, if you work in an Amazon warehouse, you have to get for 30 minutes sometimes, up to an hour, um, checked by security in a big long line to make sure you're not stealing. Mm -hmm. And Amazon was like, we're not going to pay you for that hour of your time. And the workers were like, of course you are. We're going to sue you. Supreme Court ruled. They don't have to, they don't have to pay you. Oh my God. Um, which is super dope. And as someone who, after work... Yeah, maybe I won't say that bit. Um, I was going to say something about my labor being exploited. Uh, I'm not going to say that. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about it later. We'll talk about I'll, it later. I'll cut everything. You can cut everything. What we should talk about now, Dan, tell us about what Star Trek episodes you've been watching. Oh. Well, <laughs> I, well, I watched both of the um, the Best of Both Worlds episodes. What'd you think? Uh, yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, I've seen them yeah. before. Obviously, I've seen sure. them all before. Yeah. Um, I wanted to revive... <laughs> There's a certain extent to which... Um, 
my frustration with the sense that the Borg had were meant to have somehow decided that uh, mm. a singular human consciousness rather than a collective consciousness was better. Yeah. And that had been my <laughs> argument against the Borg. Now, I have some feeling... I, I'm qu- still quite convinced that that is the way that the Borg narrative develops sure. into Voyager. But in that episode, that's not that's not what's going on at all. They, mm-hmm. The only reason why they take Picard is because he will be a better communicator. He'll be useful. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because he'll be more relatable to the people that they intend to go and assimilate. Mm. Now, it makes you beg the question, like, presumably they've been assimilating whole loads of sort of, like... Mm humanoid species who organize their societies in similar ways to the humanoid species in the Alpha Quadrant do. Do you see many non-human Borg? I can't think of any. Um, well, that was a funny thing. Like These Borg <laughs> these Borg aren't meant to be human mm. at all, but they yeah. all look human. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, late, no, later on in other episodes, um, I think I think you see like... They make a big point of making it clear that there are Klingon ones and there are Vulcan ones. Maybe my main question is, do we ever see a Ferengi Borg? I don't think there are any It's impossible because they're the perfect species. (laughs) The unassimilatable species. (laughs) Unassimilatable. They go, we can't do anything. Their brain's too big. (laughs) Um, So that was my only takeaway from that. What did you think about the Riker stuff? That's one of the only episodes where I'm not just like, oh, Riker, here we go. I'm like, Riker, cool. Good for you. Because I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a. It's I, a... I like, yeah, I like the question of like, um, well, there is the question. Uh, so many of these characters are meant to be like r- incredibly ambitious. Exactly. And yeah. there is this, this dichotomy between like career and ambition in Starfleet. Mm. And then also this idea that he's found the sort of family and community and a place where he wants to be. Exactly. And a place where he can sort of find other ways to fulfill himself. Mm. And I don't know whether that's fully, because he, in the end, he just makes the decision to stay. Exactly. And he never really like, but he ne- it's never really explained why. I'd like well, it's yeah they do. It's because he got his chance to be a captain, and I he was see. like, not not so much. I like okay, being a yeah, okay, okay, yeah. okay, 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 okay. That's yeah. I don't know. I love it because yeah, God, ambition, yeah. ambition sucks. And I yeah, I just awesome. like it if it would be. If it would, yeah, it was, yeah. Maybe maybe that's maybe the takeaway is clear, and I just didn't get it. Uh, <laughs> I but yeah, I think I think I. But I've made the same realization, or in, mm. in, at least in articulating it now, mm. that um, there are other things. Mm. there are things other than sort of like pure exactly. career ambition well and that's why it's called best of both worlds because he had the uh, best of both worlds uh-huh. and then he was like this sucks uh-huh. give me the first uh-huh. world he got to be on the enterprise and be captain <laughs> yeah exactly he even got to wear the pips he got to wear the pips yeah. <laughs> who's the uh what's her name the lady who yeah what happens to her yeah i know i wonder whether she makes a reappearance i'm not sure whether she does mm. we're talking She's about the, the other first officer the yeah. the, the other yeah, the person that becomes his first officer. Yeah. For that intervening period. That episode is much darker when you watch the first episode of Deep Space Nine, though, because you're like, whoa, they killed Cisco's family doing that. Or the board killed Cisco's family, and it was. Oh, Picard. right. I... Isn't it right in the Battle of Wolf Nine or I, whatever? Yeah, yeah. I think so. 359. 359, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get it right, Jack. <laughs> God damn it. Turn it um, off. Yeah, is, is this does Cisco's family die at Wolf I think that's why he hates Picard. Okay. Because in that okay. whole first episode, he's like, Picard's like, hey, buddy, how's it going? Good to meet you. And he's like, <laughs> I hate you. You killed my family. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and watch. I, I, I remember finding the, the early stages of Deep Space Nine very frustrating. So sure. maybe I'll go back and watch that first episode. Maybe yeah. I won't. It's a good, it's a good episode because there's yeah. the bit of him sitting with this kid on the bridge. And it's like, it's good. It's very yeah. good. Yeah. Cisco rocks. Love yeah. Cisco. 
The other episode that I watched recently, I've been watching a lot of the Q episodes, but the one that I quite enjoyed was, I think it's called Threads. The one that we mm. were discussing a little bit where um, Picard gets shot with some yep. kind of disruptor and it interferes with his artificial heart and he yep. then Q turns him back in time so he can have another go at not getting stabbed by a Norsican <laughs> in a bar fight. <laughs> it's got the classic line, what is it, play dumb jot human? Or That's so good. Play dumb jot human. So good. I've never seen, yeah, I've, yeah, I've heard about dumb jot. I mean, I've never seen it play. It's basically just billions, but... With like some lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's um, pinball billiards, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The best part about that episode, other than that line, is about how they refuse to get a younger actor to play Picard, and it's just Picard, Jean-Luc Picard, as old as he is, playing a young Picard, (laughs) and then they just explain it away as like, oh, they all see you as young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't (laughs) look at it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but they do have a younger him in some of the flashbacks, I think. Yeah, they but do. But yeah, yeah no. I... Great episode, though. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. Your classic. And that has some some similar. Again. Yeah, I mean that's a different. That's a different idea, isn't it? That like the sort of like reckless person he is in his youth makes him into the kind of like yeah. square sort yeah. of like stickler for the rules captain that he is kind of thing. He yeah. couldn't. He couldn't be boring in his youth. It wouldn't make him. Yeah. The person, the same person he ended up being. There is, yeah, 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 yeah. So what's the moral of that one? Is it just no regrets? Well, I don't know because, um, yeah, I came away feeling quite uncomfortable with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just as someone who's quite happy to accept mediocrity. Sure, yeah. Um, hey, welcome to join the club. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think uh, suffice, was... suffice to say, sorry, we've not. I mean, what what happens is he does successfully <laughs> not get stabbed by the Norsican, but then when we go back to the real, go back to the present day, mm. he's not captain of the Enterprise anymore. He's just some some sort of schmuck science officer, yeah. sort of like, I don't know. Oh yeah, that's right. And he's getting ordered around. By yeah, everybody. yeah. And, um, Jordy's white... like, what did you just yeah. say to me? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's he's working in the mail room. That is, <laughs> yeah, that is kind of depressing because I think that has the opposite moral from Best of Both Worlds, where it's like, dude, just whatever, be ha- you're happy, be happy. Yeah, that's that's, that's very judgmental of someone yeah. who, um... a petty officer. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, you yeah, suck yeah. if you're just a petty officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I was actually, I watched another one called Family, which has Worf's parents in it. Oh, the Russians, <laughs> so good, so um, good. Which is nice. They're yeah, like, yeah. we love you, what? That's that, yeah, that's the one directly after Picard gets assimilated by the Borg and he goes back to his brother's yeah. vineyard and has a big fight with his brother. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's right. And also, there's other things going on as well. The, man, writing in that show is... It's good. It's good, yeah. I also wanted to take back... I I, mm. I trotted out this sort of quite tire, <laughs> tired line a few weeks ago, last <laughs> week perhaps, suggesting that, like, character development... And interpersonal relationships mm. in Deep Space Nine were somehow superior to Next Generation. Mm, okay. And then every time I watch Next Next Generation, it's so much sort of deeper and more interesting than yeah. than, 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 I rem- than I am inclined to make it out to be. Also, best character, Guinan. Oh, of course. Yeah. 
Of course, best scene is when Guinan pulls out that huge gun that is just behind the bar. It's just like, okay. I haven't, <laughs> seen, I don't remember, I haven't seen that what yet. What happens with that? There's like a fight and she pulls out like a big gold gun. That's she hilarious. shoots it into the ceiling and somehow it doesn't I might. I might have to go back and watch the sort of Mark Twain episode soon. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I watched that. The one, the, the one, the, what makes me think of it is that one of the early Q episodes, the, the first Q episode where Guinan is on the Enterprise, mm. they have some kind of prior rep, rep, uh, yeah. relationship. Yeah. Um, and their interaction, Guinan and Q's interaction, is hilarious. Oh, like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Look like they're right. going to start like shooting lightning bolts from their fingers <laughs> or something at each other. Um, you had a big theory about Q. What was it? Did Wasn't I? it? The other day, you were telling so. me about like a big Q theory. It was... Oh, uh, okay. What okay. was this? Okay, yeah. Who, who is Q? Who is Q? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. And it was something to do with the episode where he loses his powers. Do you remember what I'm saying? You said something, and I was like, Whoa. No, I thought you were making, like, a QAnon joke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was, that's what I was doing. I was making a really funny joke. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, you, had, you had something very insightful to say about Q, and I forget what oh, it was. Oh, well, um, mm. I wish I could remember it. <laughs> Me too. I like being insightful. <laughs> it happens so rarely. <laughs> I did watch that episode. Mm. The, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That could be the best Q episode. Mm. It's got the mariachi band. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Worf is still Worf is like can we just kill this guy mm. Worf like outwardly is just like murder him yeah yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's now vulnerable okay yeah, exactly. <laughs> he literally has, Picard literally has to ask Worf to leave the room yeah. <laughs> just like Worf might like snap his neck immediately Worf rocks you know what yeah, I yeah. saw it the other day is the episode where um, Tasha Yar dies oh god and for some reason I was expecting it to not be in the like comical way that it is, where she uh-huh. gets killed by a tar monster. Yeah. It's just <laughs> it's, like it, wait, it's what? in that period of the first season of Star Trek Next Generation when it's fully <laughs> under the influence of the original series. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's down so to the way it's funny. filmed and the sort of music and everything yeah, everything. The everything, sets, everything. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so it's mm. just like wait, she's she dead. She gets beaten by a tar monster and then somebody throws a polystyrene bro not quite but Exactly. Yeah, Man, yeah I remember show. that. I remember watching that episode as a kid, though, and like, mm. what they actually killed a real life, I know, yeah. killed one of the characters. My yeah. God, it's good that they did that in the first season, though, because then you're constantly like, is Picard gonna die in Best of Both Worlds? Like, uh-huh. Jesus, is there a possibility? Yeah, is his contract up? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. What did Tasha Yar wind up doing with her career, the actor? I don't know. Not anything. Going to cool Star Trek cons, I think. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is a pretty good gig. If you can get it. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's tedious and horrible. Yeah, well, Dep- true. <laughs> Depends how much you like Trekkies. Yeah, exactly. Oh, those people. Disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be worth... I, I I only ever watched any of the original series when it was just like on TV randomly. Yeah, same. I've never watched it. It'd be kind of good to watch some of it. I don't know. I'm sure it's excruciating, yeah, but it'd places. be good to watch. I mean, it's probably... You could probably download a list of like which are the key yeah. episodes to watch. But that would be like the funny episodes where it's like the guy where he's like fighting the dragon oh, that right. yeah, rocks yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm sure you got some good the movies. Got some good yeah. movies. Yeah. Some very good movies. Yeah. What's the best non-original series movie? Um, Nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's probably, I mean, I've, I've seen First Contact a million times. Sure. I'm a big fan of First Contact. Mm. Um, but also, also, I think um, Generations is incredibly cinematic. Mm. And I think for the time when it was made, it clearly had a lot of money in it. 
Mm. Go back and watch the like space fights in mm. Generations. Mm. Um, and for the sort of time, like the models and the computer generated aspects oh, cool. of it, uh, I remember being really, really cool. And it's very mm. like, it's not like the TV show. Like, it's very big screen and yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. sweeping, and it's all I don't know. Like, yeah. The new, the new, the new movies were, were. I'm not gonna say good. They were definitely entertaining. They were definitely not super Star Trekky. Yeah. I didn't hate them. Okay. I I did really dislike. Sp- uh, we just. I really would like to move past Kirk and Spock. I really dislike Spock's character in that because he was just like not really Spock. Like he's a lot more angry. It's like he wasn't very stoic at times. Uh. He was like he would like fight people, and it's like Spock, stop it! You're yeah, I wonder him. whether he's meant to be younger to some extent, and so yeah, they make up. I guess they're making much of more of a deal of his sort of human side. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, they're entertaining. Uh, they're inter- uh, Yeah, I I think the first one is fun and entertaining. Yeah, I think the second one is abysmal. What is the second one where they go through like the portal, or is that the first one? That's the first one. The what, uh, the first one is the one with the time travel, right? And yeah, and, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, Eric Banner is yeah. like a Romulan. Yeah yeah, 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 that's fine. It's just fun. It's just silly. Sure, exactly. Yeah. The second one, my big complaint. Well, it's it's um, it's uh, it's incredibly fascist in its aesthetic. <laughs> Wait, like, what happens in this one? What it's the what it's the one that's kind of <laughs> Wrath of Khan. Sort of okay, yeah, the yeah, one yeah. with Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. In it. Oh yeah. And they've right. all they've all got the. I'm pretty. I'm I'm pretty. Well, yeah. I w- I was. I'm pretty sure that the the main Starfleet person who ends up being a villain is the guy that played, um, RoboCop. <laughs> and Sylvester it- Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good movie though. I should yeah. watch that one again. Yeah. Um, the other guy, yeah, Dominic. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know. Rab. I'm not even sure whether this is the case, but it's definitely like it's more of a it's more of a like RoboCop inspired Earth than yeah. it is a Star Trek inspired Earth. Yeah. And their uniforms that they their sort of official dress uniform that they have is so fascist, it's yeah. untrue. And all yeah. of the environments are really grey and yeah. drab and boring. Oh, There's is this nothing the one utopian where... about the world at all. Is this one where San Francisco gets destroyed? <laughs> where um, like they like crash a ship into San yes. Francisco? Yeah, 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 that yeah, was yeah, the yeah, worst yeah, 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 decision yeah, yeah. ever. And the other thing that I really hate about it is that like I came up with this idea that like it was made by someone who sort of watched Star Trek, but I mean, I I do know I I have it. And my understanding is that JJ Abrams isn't a very big Star Trek fan. Sure. Um, and it, that's I mean, obviously he had a hand in all of them. I think more the first two than the third one. Mm. Uh, maybe he didn't have a hand in the third one at all, or maybe he just produced mm. it. I don't know. Mm. Um, but the second one like has all the words and the sort of had Star Trek ideas, but dis- I feel like deploys them in all of the wrong way. Yeah. It just doesn't have any reverence for any of the material of Star Trek. 100%. I think the third one has a lot more revenant- reverence mm. for Star Trek. Mm. I don't know what, I don't know. I think Simon Pegg wrote some of it and Simon Pegg's more of a Star oh, cool. Trek fan. Um, it's silly in the way that the first one is. And I watched it recently and it's not as good as I remember it being. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the third one's fine. Watch the first one, watch the third one. Yeah. Skip the second one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a big franchise. What do you expect? Mm-hmm. Big, expect big explosions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder what the biggest explosion in Next Generation is. Maybe when they blow up the Borg. Or probably like a supernova, but I'm not going to count that. Yeah. 
one of my favorite episodes that I can't remember the name of that I'd like to go back and rewatch is the one where they, I love the like creature episodes where they like new species episodes. And there's one where they find like a space whale and it like gives birth or something at the end of the episode. And then it like floats away. Uh-huh. Maybe I'm crazy. One of the, someone winds up in the whale or something like that. I forget exactly what okay. happens. I mean, there's some, some, some aspects of that sound a bit like the, the pilot episode. You know, they encounter at Farpoint where yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, so yeah. they're more like squid space aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not that one. It's like there's like one monolithic space, space creature. Alien. Yeah. There yeah, were some, some space whales in um, <laughs> in the in Discovery. Mm, few episodes oh, cool. of Discovery, there's some space whales. Love space whales. Yeah. Love whales. They're only like bit part characters. They're not main characters, unfortunately. So if you want like a main character space <laughs> whale episode. I love main character space yeah, whale I'm not episode. sure where you're going to get that one from. Have you been watching any of the short discoveries i forget what they're called they're like star trek bits or something like no, that i don't know what this is i think they're just like bits they're like 15 minute episodes I forget uh. what they are but they're just like stories from the star trek universe uh, it's a bit of a cheat yeah i haven't minutes. heard great things but maybe they're good oh okay um okay. yeah i would imagine okay to get to other solar systems they planned their economies yeah <laughs> there are no markets. I mean, it was a planned economy that built the Enterprise. That's for sure. Certainly. Certainly. <laughs> I'd imagine Klingons could perhaps have some kind of uh, uh, wage uh, form. But you mm. never know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Play... Were they Klingons? Play Domjot? Play, play Gomjot? Whatever no, um, Norsicans. Norsicans. Yeah, 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 yeah. They stole that from Warhammer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, mean, mean, big, mean guys. Yeah. Three uh, spiky, spiky face teeth. Yeah. Stay away from them. Yeah, don't, don't, don't play Dom Jot. Don't, don't play Dom Jot with Norsicans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's where we're going to take away from this. Um, this book rocked. People's Republic of Walmart. Yeah. Uh, read it. Buy it's it, all read good. it. Um, watch some more Star Trek. Or not. Watch Conan the Barbarian. I wish I liked that movie, but I don't. Um, and... Remember on that hot take. On that hot take. <laughs> remember. I don't know. We're trying to do a good sign off. I don't know. Dan, just for the next story statements. I'm Jack. I'm Dan. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Maybe. I think there is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>